Yes, welcome to Fashion by Dad, the land of the surreal, where Castella meets curls, Foods meets metal, and oxymoron meets juxtaposition. Blazer of glory tonight is the high-vis vest. Bones has already given me a couple of things to chew on, so we'll be chewing on his high-vis vest a little later. Uh, it's already been time for a story time story once here on Fashion by Dad, but if you're very nice, boys and girls, we might make time for another story time story uh, later in the show, if I don't run out of time, that is. Here on Fashion by Dad, each week a theme, and this week's theme, water. I lost my heart under the bridge. That little girl So much to me And now I'm old And now I holler She'll never know Just what I found That blue-eyed girl She said no more Come back here, man, give me my 
creepy down by the uh, not down by the river down by the water by PJ Harvey very uh, powerful and interesting song uh, seventh track and the lead single from her third studio album to bring you my love 95 26 years ago recent when you're as ancient as I am we uh, played a little earlier a medieval version of uh, M&M's I am what I am anyway the uh, Down by the Water was one of those songs that sort of you know a breakout song for an indie rock and punk blues performer went pop well that song went to number one uh it's a reference to a traditional American folk song, Salty Dog Blues, about a woman drowning her daughter. Big fish, little fish, give me back my daughter. PJ Harvey. Hot film clip too, down by the water. Uh, now, in the line of young girls and water, this week's Blazer of Glory... Every week we make a nod to fashion here on Fashion by Dad on the Zeds. You're listening to 4ZZZ, 4ZZZ.org.au or 102.1 FM. Uh, fashion by Dad has a section called Blazer of Glory where we deal with some fashion crime that was once a good idea. So far we've looked at Henry VIII's diamond-crusted member in uh, the mirror and the light. And we looked at uh, the biscuit jacket from the Montrose Primary School in 1964 to blazes of glory thus far here on Fashion by Dad. But tonight we're looking at the high-vis vest. Now, the high-vis vest, the safety vest... Is, has a long and interesting history. Various people claim various sort of ownership of it. Uh, the Thames Tugboat Company, that's not its real name, that's my name for it, a group of fellows whose job was carting ships around and saving people in the Thames invented a uh, sort of vest where a whole lot of cork, corks, of course, were the only enclosures for wine bottles, many other bottles at the time. And uh, so they created a flotation device, which was a whole lot of cork sewn into a vest. So that was the beginning of the flotation vest, or thus claimed by the Thames Tugboat Company, by any other name. I'll post a picture of that on Fashion by Dad, Facebook and Insta page. But the... Um, Flotation vest was just the beginning. I, do I have the um, story in front of me? Yes. The horrific survival tale of an 11-year-old girl who was orphaned at sea. So 11-year-old Terry Jo Duperol spent 84 gruelling hours alone at sea until she was rescued. There's a photo of her. She was just spotted by a ship among the whitecaps on the wave. The 11-year-old had been in a uh, 
pink dress, but it had faded in the sun and the salt. She was almost impossible to spot among the white caps of the wave. And um, when I pulled her ashore, she was somewhat dehydrated, sunburnt and otherwise worse for wear. But when they got the full story, it was pretty gruesome. So the story begins when her father, a prominent optometrist named Dr Arthur Duperol, chartered a luxury, luxury yacht from Fort Lauderdale in Florida to the Bahamas. He brought his wife and his kids, Brian, 14, Terry Joe, 11, that's our girl, and Renee, 7. He also brought his friend, former Marine and World War II veteran Julie Harvey, as the skipper along with Harvey's new wife, Mary Dean. By all accounts, the trip was going swimmingly and there was little friction between the two families for the first five days of the journey. You can sort of sense the Gilligan's Island drama building. On the fifth night of the cruise, Terry Joe was awakened by screaming and stamping on the deck above the cabin in which she slept. She thought all the third drinks kicking in, rolled over, tried to go back to sleep. But... Talking to reporters later, Terry Jo recalled how she went upstairs to see what it was and she saw my mother and my brother lying on the floor with blood all over. She then saw Harvey walking towards her. Harvey slapped her face and told her to go below deck. Terry Jo once more went above deck and when the water levels began to rise on her level, she ran into Harvey again and asked him if the boat was sinking, to which he replied yes. He then asked her if she had seen the dinghy that was moored to the yacht break loose. When she told him she had, he jumped in the water towards the loose vessel. Left alone, Terry Jo remembered the single life raft aboard the vessel and embarked on the tiny boat out into the ocean. Without food, water or any covering to protect her from the heat of the sun, Terry Jo spent 84 gruelling hours before she was rescued by the Captain Tell. Unbeknownst to Terry Jo, by the time she woke up on November the 12th, Harvey had already drowned his wife and stabbed the rest of Terry Jo's family to death. He likely killed his wife to collect her $20,000 double indemnity insurance policy when Terry Joe witnessed, when Terry Joe's father witnessed him killing her, he must have killed the doctor and then proceeded to kill the rest of her family. I've lost a bit track of who's who by this point, but we can, you can go back over it following the links on which I will post. So, anyway, the um, murderer was found a couple of days after his daughter was found and um, killed himself when he found out that his daughter was alive. A witness. He wasn't able to maintain the story that he was trying to tell. So there we have the terrible story of Joe Tepero. Now, the relevance to Joe Tepero's 84 gruelling hours at sea and the Hive's vest, is that because she was almost impossible to spot on a white light raft in a white dress among white waves on a sunlit ocean, it was decided, it was decreed that life rafts would be bright orange and that um, life rafts would be fitted with flotation vests similar to the ones that have been invented by the Thames Tug Company, 
But those vests would be bright orange. And thus, the Hive's vest was born. Now, the Hive's vest is now, you know, a sort of regular fashion crime. If you attend any airport on a Monday morning or a Friday afternoon and the FIFO crew is flying out of the capital city or into the capital city to spend their 14 or 10 days on the mine or wherever they're FIFOing into or out of, the high-vis vest is de rigueur. We have the seats heading for one part of the aircraft, the suits heading for one part of the aircraft, and the high-vis vests heading for the other. So it's a, it's a sort of class divider in our society. Engineers, STEM students and workers in high-vis and uh, politicians, lawyers and bankers in suits. Unless, of course, it's election time, in which case the politicians don the high-vis vest to identify with their working fellows. Now, interestingly, we have this hugely visible sign of class, yet we still have not got a class analysis that divides along the same line. So the theory is lagging behind the practice. More of that in daytime midday shows rather than here in the middle of the night. We're interested here in the fashion crimes. Now, the high-vis vest or high-vis materials have been the subject of some fashion shows, reverse garbage does a regular recycled fashion and upcycled fashion gear at their Wollongabba headquarters. And one year, the entire show was dedicated to fashion in high vis. So, fashion crime writ large, upcycling safety gear into fashion, not fashion by dad, fashion by reverse garbage. And uh, as regular listener, perhaps the only listener at this hour of the morning, Bones has asserted the high-vis is part of the whole insurance fear-based health and safety framing of society. We can't swing on a swing. We can't climb a tree. We can't have a step outside our door. We must have a ramp because we could trip over our own feet. We're all so afraid of being sued by anything that we daren't do anything because we live in a litigious world driven by insurance claims. So the high-vis vest, in Bones' word, is a fashion scam. So there we are, a few different takes on the high-vis vest. Uh, few, there's actually a few interesting stories about people being lost at sea, especially uh, young girls in pink at the moment. But we will come back to that at another point on Fashion by Dad. You're here on 4ZZZ.org.au or 102.1 FM if you are in Brisbane. Where it's about 17 minutes past 4 a.m. on Tuesday. The 
team who brought you Brisbane Institution skinnies back in the day have returned with a brand new indie record store, Sonic Sherpa. Located in the car park of the Stones Corner Hotel, just 10 minutes from the CBD. Sonic Sherpa carries a large range of new and vintage vinyl, CDs, books, and t-shirts. So for your physical music needs, go back to the future with Sonic Sherpa, a proud 4ZZZ discount outlet. 5% off for all 4ZZZ subs.
States are going to have to come together on this issue because if they don't, then the whole system is going to um, totally collapse. At the moment, it's just partially collapsed. This is really, really serious, and yet people don't seem to get it. I don't know what the future is unless we grab hold of the issue and fix the problem.
down by the river, Dennis Natras, the soundtrack for a uh, film version of Crimea River, a film made by Water Crusader, kayaker, kayak for Earth, Steve Posselt, speaking about the Murray Darling before that, and before that, Doug Kerr with Give the Water Back here on Fashion by Dad, the water episode. We're working our way through the elements. We've done fire, we've done air. Tonight we're looking at water. There's a, another little rave from Steve on a different river. Uh, last time we heard him, he was talking about the Darling and Murray in drought. This time he's talking about a river in flood. He's trying to paddle upstream. The mouths of the Mississippi were smaller here, just licking their foaming lips, but they were there all right and not at all friendly. A big log jam jutted out into the river. White water rushed past. Not wanting to think about it, I paddled hard towards the edge of the log. Crashing into the white water, I was thrust 20 metres into the river in one second. Two seconds, it was 30 metres as the rudder responded. Paddling desperately, I had held my ground, but only just. I edged back towards the log jam, just holding on. About three metres out from the logs was a standing wave that gave me enough relief from the current to inch forwards. Go, go, go! With every ounce of strength I had, the kayak inched forward. The top of a small tree was 30 metres ahead and just inside the line of logs. Got to make that, got to make that, got to make that! The words echoed around my head. The carbon wing blade flexed in the water as I thrust like a man possessed past the point of no return. I was above the logjam, a broken blade, maybe even a missed stroke, and that could be my last. The river was rough. It was ugly, and I was bouncing like a cork. This was committed. No way back. Steve Posselt from Tough is Not Enough. Your story time story here on Fashion by Dad's water episode. A little break from things water for a moment. We'll head into outer space with Aurora. Seen it ten times or more. 
Listen to all episodes of 4ZZZ's original podcast series from A to Triple Z, out now on all good podcasting platforms. Hear our stories from the archives, like the unstoppable group of journalists bent on exposing the rot in Queensland politics. We're sitting there in the afternoon, it's like, oh my God, the jail's on fire. And so I hoofed it down there. We were the only media there for hours and hours and hours. Or an electric night in a South Brisbane rugby club where a three-way friendship formed between a city, a singer and a radio station. For those of us who were there, we didn't realise that those two hours were about to change our lives and that this concert would be forever a part of 4 Z history. Or the story of how Triple J stole the hottest hundred. They posed all these other threats to us and then on top of everything else, it was like, well, and now they're doing a hot 100, but that's ours. These yarns and plenty more are available to download now and learn about how this station has been shaped by the passion, punks and politics of Brisbane since 1975. Search from A to Triple Z to listen now on all good podcast apps or listen on the 4ZZZ website at 4ZZZ.org.au forward slash podcasts. Oh, 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 oh,
Methuselah lived 900 years. Cher, we that ain't necessarily so. And when we hear the dulcet sounds of Cher taking her gospel whenever it's possible with a little grain of salt, it's time for a when I was a boy. Now, here on Fashion by Dad, I'm challenging, channeling, not challenging, I'm channeling the metadad, the ancient. Just going to look back through the streets of Fitzroy when I was a boy. Now, of course, we've got on our television screens uh, the Jack Irish story set in a sort of reminiscent, a modern reminiscent Fitzroy, old people in bars. I used to drink in a Fitzroy pub. Actually, it was a Carlton pub, but it's right next door. About as close as the valley in some parts of Spring Hill. You walk around the corner from Fitzroy, you're in Carlton. Anyway, there was an old pub there, classic, the kind seen in Jack Irish. Old men glued to stools. The Purple Cow's Corner was one corner of that pub. And um, this was a singing pub. Every night the baton, there was no actual baton, but the role of leading the song was passed from person to person. And because it was right next to the commission flats there, people from all over the world had come to live in uh, Fitzroy. And so we would hear you know, heartfelt folk songs, love songs, songs about, you know, the loss of life, love and nationhood from one corner of the world or the other. And often the song would be well enough known that people would be able to join in the chorus. As a middle-class white fellow, I was always a little bit embarrassed that I didn't have a uh, theme song to go back to. I mean, you can build out Walsing Matilda or something, as Bob, Bob Hawke did at Woodford one year, but in the streets of Fitzroy, it was considered fairly uh, poor taste. Uh, which I remember one time in a pub in Redfern in Sydney, uh, launching into Banjo Patterson and from Snowy River or something, and was nearly chucked out of the pub because it was a Henry Lawson pub. They thought Banjo Patterson was, you know, a toff, white-class rural establishment poet. They were firmly Henry Lawson, and um, I really, really had to talk my way out of that one, not to get pushed out. That was was the Redfern push. They didn't like people from Paddington either. So, these inner-city pubs, great backgrounds, but... The story I want to tell tonight is before the Commission flats were put up. The Commission flats were put up in the 60s to clear out the slums, the slums of Fitzroy, the breeding ground of Squizzy Taylor and those great 20s Melbourne criminals. So the back streets of Fitzroy then were teeming with life. We look at them now, they're sort of fairly quiet cobblestones and very genteel. It's not just the gentrification that has taken place recently with the arrival of a well-heeled 
university and alt indie cafe drinking sector. It's really a deliberate campaign by those governments in the 60s to... I mean, they were well motivated. They wanted to ensure health and safety for the lower classes. But in that teeming, lively mess of old Fitzroy, Collingwood and Carlton, those inner city, bluestone suburbs of Melbourne, there was no running water. It was outside Dunnies with uh, a can, a night can, and the night man came along and took the night can took your old night can full of poo and weave from the week, twice a week in some parts of town, and uh, put it on the back of his night truck. The night man's truck was a stinking mess that drove up those cobbled back lanes. And because there was no running water, we used to go and get a billy of beer for Grandma. So Grandma had a billy of beer, so she got a quart of beer every morning. She used to dip into it during the day. And the point about beer is that it was made with clear water and it had been brewed carefully. And so it was clear. It wasn't poisonous. It wasn't... There were no bugs in the beer. So Granny drank beer all day. And you see a similar thing in um, Germaine Greer's Shakespeare's Wife, an account of the life of females in Elizabethan England when I really was a boy. And her point is that it was the role of women to make the cider and the ale that was drunk as the alternative to water in the working class areas of England. Well, we hadn't invented the working class then. No, we were just the lower classes. And in lots of parts of London, there was no work. The next class up, the working class, had jobs in factories, but the old Londoners, the inner city Londoners, just made a living however they could. Gin was the way to get drunk. Cider and beer were the way to, well, of course they relieved the pain a little, but they were cleaner than water. So there you have it, a tale about water from when I was a boy. Now, if you've been listening all evening, you will have heard this a little earlier. In the show, George Van Etten with Deep Black Water. I love it. I'm going to play it again here on Fashion by Dad. Quarter to five, away from fishing in the morning.
Fashion by Dad on the Zeds. You're listening to me, Jeff Hebbs. That was Georgia Van Etten, born in Geelong, Victoria, and now living in London and cutting tracks like that, Deep Black Water, from February this year, 2021. Uh, now, I was talking about uh, drinking beer instead of water in old Fitzroy. 
Bones informs me that the person who brought the water to Grandma or wherever, the billy of water each morning, was called a cutter. So if you know why, the uh, usually young lad sent out to get the day's beer supply in a billy was called a cutter. Let us know here on Fashion by Dad. You can pop it on Insta or Facebook, Fashion by Dad, or at fashionbydad.com. That's where we post the stories here on Fashion by Dad. We like to mix up the genres. We're about to hear one of my favourite folk meets metal bands, uh, The Who. They've got a new track out, which I didn't manage to get together for this week. So this is an oldie, the great Chinggis Khan, after a message from our sponsors. Well, us sponsoring ourselves, in fact. Hey, young Z-heads. Our next round of youth announcer training is coming up quick. Have you got something to say? Are you passionate about music, community and culture? Here's your chance to be a part of 4ZZZ as an on-air announcer or content creator. If you're aged 12 to 17, head to 4ZZZ.org.au slash training to find out more. Our next round of youth announcer training is happening this school holidays, Monday the 28th and Tuesday 29th of June. So come and join us.
The Who with the great Genghis Khan. Here on Fashion by Dad, we're about to say goodbye for our water episode. Thank you for your company. Stay tuned for Fishing in the Mornings. Now, as we like to finish each hour here on Fashion by Dad, a different version of Nothing Compares to You, when we run out in about 20 uh, tracks time, I've got Gregorian chant versions of Nothing Compares to You, etc., etc. But here's the original Prince from 1984 with the demo track that started the whole lot. Fashion by Dad. Without a song 